Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. My name is Deanna Zanatos, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at Norton Children's Hospital. Today, we will be speaking about core PCICS and talking about one of the projects that came out of that with our guests, uh, Chris Mastro-Pietro and Katie Cashin. So thank you both so much for joining us. I'll let you guys go ahead and just introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Chris Mastro Pietro. I am the medical director of uh, cardiovascular research and education at Riley Hospital for Children in Indianapolis. Uh, and uh, I am also the founder of CORE PCICS. And uh, I'll be talking about that today. And I'm Katie Cashin. I'm a cardiac intensivist at Duke Children's Hospital. And I'm also happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for joining us. Um, we're here in Miami at the annual PCICS meeting. And this morning, um, you both talked in one of the sessions about core PCICS and then one of the projects that came out of that. And so um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, first of all, what is core PCICS? How did it come into existence? And what are some of the things that you guys have been working on? Core PCICS is uh, uh, sort of evolved out of a, a simple idea that I wanted to try out in 2015, which involved just getting a few centers together to do a multi-centered research project that I thought wouldn't be able to be done in a, as a single center study and uh, wouldn't be able to be done as a registry study. So. I reached out to uh, most of which were former fellows or co-fellows of mine. Uh, Katie was actually a former resident of mine. Uh, and they all agreed to participate in a multi-centered prospective observational research study looking at extubation failure uh, after needle and cardiac surgery. Uh, the data we got was uh, from that study was very uh, compelling, it resulted in a, a few publications. and. The people participating in that study uh, wanted to do more studies, uh, and so I thought I would try to get a few other people involved. And uh, we did a second study that involved 15 centers looking at truncus arteriosus. And at that point, um, we decided, okay, well, this is probably going to have some legs. So we went ahead and named it uh, Core PCIC or Core <coughs> Collaborative Research in Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care. At that point, PCICS had not been involved, but we were just getting started. And uh, since then, uh, we've grown to now 31 institutions across the country, across the U.S. And uh, in 2018, Brad Moreno uh, reached out to me about turning core PCIC into a subcommittee of the PCICS Research Committee. And uh, after some conversations and some agreements and uh, handshakes, that's what we ended up doing. And so now we call ourselves CORE PCICS, which is collaborative research in, from the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. And, uh, and now this is like the seventh year we're doing this. As I said, we have 31 institutions. We've completed six projects. We have 13 uh, publications thus far, over 130 citations. And so we feel like the work we're doing is impactful and it's fun and it's exciting. And uh, yet it's unfunded and uh, done with the, um, the blood, sweat, and tears of all the junior faculty and mid-career faculty, all the institutions that participate, to whom I'm extremely grateful. That's excellent. Tell me, what is the process for a center to join core PCICS? Well, Katie, you can answer that. 
Well, what I was going to say is um, this is the only probable, like probably the only time in my career that I vouched for John Costello to join the group. <laughs> so the original process before this was formalized was that we had to know the person and know that they would do the data collection and follow through on deadlines, IRBs, et cetera, because a lot of the hard work in any project is is the paperwork and getting the work done. The proposal, you know, the concept proposals, the discussion, that's the exciting part, developing the project. But I think actually doing the hard part, the data collection, the revision, the uh, statistical analyses, that's the hard part. I think that in this group, we wanted to make sure that we were doing meaningful studies, but also that we were going to complete the studies. Because if you have a wonderful idea, but you can never finish, then you've spent a lot of time and a lot of people's time for a project that no one ever really benefits from. And so I think in the beginning, that was the process is we had to have worked for, vouched for, you know, the person and made sure that they were going to be a good person to work with. And now we have a more formalized application process and it, which does include a reference letter from a current um, core PCICS member. Um, there are some basic data elements about your center. And in general, if, you know, people have reached out to um, Chris and s applied in this way. And how do you formalize sort of the working together, um, sharing the data, um, especially with the different IRBs mm -hmm. and data use agreements? How have you been able to navigate that process? It's been a work in progress. And um, I mean, it, it's better pr probably to say that I've been sort of making it up as I've gone along, <laughs> uh, but with the help of uh, a lot of the members. And, and Katie mentioned John uh, Costello. John was part of the first initial seven people. Uh, I had never worked with John before. Katie uh, was his fellow in Chicago, and she he was also her she was her research mentor and uh, she, she said hey why don't we try to get john involved in this and uh, i was skeptical that he would have the time and want to be able to do it but uh he actually was very enthusiastic and said this sounds like a great idea and having him come on board early is what helped me uh, uh, have an additional experienced um, uh, accomplished researcher uh, to help you know get that first study going. And so having him and then other people come in along the way to help me fine tune some of these other processes that we have now. And so how I navigate the, uh, the whole group now is, uh, I mean, I could talk for a long time uh, about that whole process, but it's, it's, I'll just simply say like, when we start with an idea, we fine tune, if, if, if I think the idea is has legs and it would be a good fit for core PCICS. I share it with what we now have as a six-member leadership committee, and they uh, uh, they look over the proposal. If they think it's a something that would work well for our our model, I guess, uh, and we go forward with it, fine-tune the proposal, and then we send it out to all the core PCICS members, and we give them the option to participate. They don't have to participate. But what typically happens is the if they if the PI that is sort of the point person at that institution can't participate in the study because they're too busy, too overcommitted, then they find usually somebody else that they trust and they say is reliable to to and to step up and be the PI for that one study. And so my general rule is uh, one PI 
per center per study, but you can have more than one PI at a specific center depending on you know who's committed to what at that time when we want to do the study. And then once we get the the IRB stuff done, I build a red cap and uh, everybody just starts collecting the data and putting the data into red cap. The probably the most important point to make is that um, when we first started doing these studies, um, data use agreements are are just a part of our life now. And I didn't have to do this in my early career, but now it's every institution requires these things. And they take a long time to put together. And the first two studies, we had every center had to do individual data use agreements for each uh, uh, center. And that was definitely the reason, if you look at the timeline, why the first couple of studies the first study was 2015. We didn't start the trunket study until two years later because of all the regulatory stuff. And then it was actually David Kwiatkowski from uh, from Stanford who said, you know, that last data use agreement was a real pain in the you know what. And do you think we could set it up so that we have one DUA that sort of covers all of the core PCICS uh, studies? And I said, hmm, that's not a bad idea, let me see. And I reached out to my regulatory staff in my hospital and I said, yeah, we can do that. And so um, it, was, it was a little bit of a process, but once we got this document ironed out, we sent it to all the institutions and um, they all uh, requested maybe some very minor revisions to it, but we've executed it with 25 of the 31 centers. And so that has really sped up the process of getting these studies going. And so that's where we are We are now. And so I've just learned things over the last seven years that have made each study just a little bit easier to logistically navigate. For each study that we do, myself, Katie, some of the other members of the uh, leadership committee that are heavily involved have, uh, you know, have been not only helping me, but learning how we can make the next study a little bit more efficient, a little bit more, uh, um, you know, smooth. Because as Katie said, the fun part is coming up with the ideas for the study and then doing the data analysis. But there's so much additional stuff that has to happen behind the scenes in order to make sure not only the study gets started, but people meet their deadlines and and uh, get the data in so we can get the data cleaned and get the data analyzed as hopefully as quickly as possible. That's great. And you had mentioned previously that, you know, currently it's unfunded. So as far as the statistical analysis and the the support for that, does that come from individual institutions or is that you know, just done by the members themselves? All the members get their IRB protocols through their own IRB processes themselves. So that's the first step. And then the next step is to start doing the data collection and putting them into a red cap. And I have a, a red cap system at IU that uh, we use to build all the red caps. And we I have a couple of research coordinators that taught me how to like actually do a red cap database. And so I did the first couple, but now as, as we've gotten through this, whoever the like main PI is for that study, like Katie was for uh, Al Kappa, will be instrumental in you know putting the red cap, building the red cap. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off of me. And then as far as the data analysis and statistical support, 
I'm very, very fortunate at my institution to have uh, access to a couple of statisticians through our divisional funds uh, that are available to me to help with the data analysis. And then the last one of the more recent studies we did, um, the PI, uh, uh, Ilias, and I know I'm going to mispronounce his name, Ilya Poulos, uh, and I apologize to you if I mispronounce that, Ilias. <laughs> He's from Cincinnati, and he uh, shepherded one of our, our, our study on pulmonary atresia and tac ventricular septum, and he volunteered to his institutional funds and statistical support for that one study, and I, of course, gladly accepted. So those are the types of things that we've done so far to 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 sort of continue to do this unfunded. I have tried to attain funding for in a couple of different mechanisms, but um, getting funding for retrospective and observational data collection is not easy. Uh, reviewers don't understand why we would need money to collect data. And uh, it's, it's a time-consuming process to collect the data that we are looking for. Many of the Members are also members of other databases, so they can leverage that a little bit so they don't have to duplicate data collection because mm -hmm. some of the most, I don't say most, but many of the variables are already in that those databases. But that's one of the main points of our collaborative. We want to ask questions that require a more granular level of data collection. And so um, that's that's what our PIs uh, are, are doing. And Again, I'm very grateful for it because that's that's really the key to the success of the group. That's wonderful. I think you guys have um, what you've built is really impressive in the in the growth and the um, science that has come out of the group is really fantastic. And I think is going to go a long way in advancing our field. You sort of answered my next question, which was going to be sort of about the need for this. You know, when we have Cardiac Networks United and we have so many databases for our field, the it sounds like the goal behind core PCICS is to really get some more granular data to answer some different questions that you might not be able to answer using those registries. Yes, and I could have Katie take this question because she, I mean, that was the whole basis of her her Alcapa study. Yeah. yeah so so um as a newer faculty member, probably I was probably two years out uh, of training. We had a baby with Alcapa who presented an extremis and had severe mitral valve regurgitation with a structurally abnormal mitral valve. And uh, when I tried to review the literature uh, about this child, there was a lot of debate about whether the surgeons should just repair the Alcapa or also try and do a mitral valve repair. And most people felt strongly they should leave the valve alone. But when you look at the publications, you know, about Alcapa again back then, which was um, probably 2016, uh, there was, a, there were a bunch of retrospective 20 year, you know, experience with repairing Alcapa, no kids go on ECMO, everyone survives. You know, people were writing their good experience, right? They were writing things that they did well. One of those papers was from you know, Carl, Carl Backer wrote about it in Chicago where I did fellowship. So it's, it's great that people have good results, but when you have a baby in front of you and you're trying to help decide, you know, I'm not saying that we decide what the surgeons do, but when you're trying to have an educated discussion about what is best for that baby, a lot of the registries cannot answer that question and can't really help you answer that question. 
Um, there were some nice um, single center, small um, echo finding papers um, that that showed us some echo measurements that could help you predict which patients were going to need a light, later mitral valve intervention. Um, but again, didn't really help for that neonate that was an extremis in our unit. So when we had, you know, it was pretty soon after the initial um, study that we did in the early part of collaborative, the core PCICS group. And uh, I, you know, basically had done a pretty big lit review for, to care for that patient and thought that maybe we can answer this question. Maybe there are some ICU clinical variables that are important that would be helpful in predicting um, which children are going to need more support after their surgery. And also, are there other um, echo findings, you know, EKG findings on admission that would be helpful in risk stratifying these these patients? And that that's how the LCAPA project started is really a, you know, a clinical question that I wanted to answer that we could not answer at the bedside. And um, wrote, you know, wrote the proposal and pitched it initially to Chris and John. And then uh, I don't think we had a <laughs> leadership committee at that time. <laughs> After that study where we said, okay, we've done three studies now. We, I guess we're legit. So <laughs> I guess we, we we need to have a leadership committee. And that said, this has been a work in progress. And each, each with each study, it adds a little bit of another layer uh, because, again, like I never imagined we would continue this seven, eight years later. And it's been a great, enjoyable process, but it's an it's evolving process. And, yeah, I think it was at the end of that study where we're like, OK, I think we need to formalize, formalize these things yeah. a little bit. So. Besides, do you think this is a good idea? Do we think this is feasible? And do we think people are willing to collect all the, the data elements that we thought were important? Um, and so that first, um, so, so that's kind of how it started. And actually that was our first in-person meeting was that I presented the proposal to the larger PCICS group, the core at that time, PCIC group and got comments and feedback and revised the proposal. And then we started the project and had identified already some, uh, outcome variables, specifically wanted to look at um, major adverse cardiovascular events, which was a composite outcome um, for the infants and neonates that I'm originally um, was talking about. And then, you know, it made more sense after reviewing it with the group to break the follow-up outcomes, intermediate outcomes into a separate paper so that we could really give the level of detail that we wanted for the, the MACE paper. So we ended up originally coming up with the probably five or six manuscripts um, that we wanted to, uh, or projects that we wanted to get out of this larger project, the MACE paper, the intermediate outcome paper, um, the later presentation, because we thought it made more sense to handle those older children who have different physiology than the infants. Um, and then we also came up with some uh, more descriptive um, EKG paper and a paper of children with LCAPA and more complex other congenital cardiac anomalies. And so far we have completed all of the projects, just two of the papers are still in the works. Yeah, I should add that um, the EKG project is actually particularly worth mentioning because uh, this was the first time that we actually had PIs upload 
de-identified uh, EKGs uh, for all of the patients, not just on presentation, but at discharge and at one year and at three years. And, uh, and so we had over 200 EKGs when we were done. And uh, just reviewing them, we noticed that the classic findings that end up on all the board exams aren't present in most of the kids. Wow. And so uh, there's nothing really out there in the literature describing sort of EKG findings from Alcapa patients in a large multicenter cohort. So it's this the reason that study has taken a while to come out is because we had, I think, about a half a dozen of the cardiology trained members of our group review all of these EKGs and themselves and uh, collect the, the data. And so we finally finished that. I think it was a week before this conference, Vinu Amula, who's been uh, from Utah, who's been uh, kind of shepherding that one project, emailed me and said, we did all the data collection. What do we do now? And I said, we wait until PCICS is over and then we have a call uh, and we talk <laughs> about it. But I'm very excited about that paper because um, it, it, was, it was probably the most labor intensive study that we've like, done. It ended up being a sub-analysis of her study that we talked about initially, but I wasn't sure it was ever going to come to fruition, but it will. So. That's great. Yeah. A huge investment, but great reward. It's really awesome. It's like most of the things we do, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So where do you see the the future? What it, it seems like you've got a lot of traction and really have built quite an infrastructure for answering these difficult questions. And so what do you yeah. see the next steps? Well, it was, it was really just until recently that... I started to look beyond the next study because that's really all that I've been doing. But I will say that if not for our partnership with Core PCICS, I don't think that we would have the traction that we have now. I think that Core PCS support PCICS supporting us, uh, sort of not and and um, uh, uh, giving us. Uh, a sort of validity uh, has has really helped in uh, when people and they've given me the opportunity to talk about it. At, uh, this is a second meeting I've had the opportunity to talk about it at. And people hear about it. I don't go out there and recruit anymore. People just find me and and email me, and then we go through a, 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 a I would say an informal application process is still pretty informal. And uh, and again, the numbers just keep growing. So now, uh, now that we have so many numbers, uh, I've started to look beyond the next study. And uh, we are, we had a wonderful meeting uh, a specific core PCICS meeting a, a few days ago, uh, as many PIs who could join, either join in person or virtually, and we started talking about uh, some of the next steps and the what I'm hoping to see happen in the next few years is uh, we have an, a few nice, really uh, nice ideas for uh, uh, some retrospective pilot studies that if the data pans out the way we hope pan out could lead to potentially either implementation studies or, or even a clinical trial. So I think for core PCICS to get funding to do a, a study, we'll have to go beyond the, the data collection studies that I, I, I love doing these studies. The, the, these studies are really uh, uh, rewarding and, and I think important, but I also think that um, 
we can take it to uh, the next level, so to speak, by actually leveraging some of the data that we collect and uh, into into a clinical trial. And we've just started talking about that. Uh, we talked about it also at the research committee meeting. Uh, Brad uh, Marino, uh, in particular, was very excited about that idea and offered a lot of uh, very uh, insightful uh, advice. So, again, we just started. To, I just started thinking about this. I never thought seven years ago that I would be thinking about a clinical trial uh, from a group of former fellows and residents, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's been fun. And uh, again, uh, I'll keep doing it as long as all those people out there who are helping with this continue to to help. Because I, I mean, I have people say you've done this, you've done that, but I've done a lot of regulatory stuff, but I, I couldn't be doing this if I didn't have all those people back at all those centers going into their medical records, collecting all that data and 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 sharing it with me. I think um I'm going back to the past, not the future, but I think the other uh really nice thing about this group is that we actually purposely purposely I think have included um people from many different centers. So, you know, some centers, most people are joining PC4, but in the beginning, there were a lot of centers that were not part of PC4. And in our the cardiac care across our country, there are many different variations of units, right? There's what we think of as and what are the large centers, what, you know, people are aspiring to be, but many places are not going to be the large center that's, um, you know, doing heart transplants. There's a lot of smaller, medium-sized programs uh, in different in states and smaller units who are caring for children, and the care of those children matters too. And in this organization, it you don't need to be part of PC4 to collect meaningful data. We actually welcome centers or that that don't have the same resources that you know a larger center may have. So. I think that whether you um, have statistical funding for statistical support or not has not been a barrier to be part of this group and to do research. And that's not the case in many other (laughs) um, research organizations. So I think the collaborative nature, the um, diversity in the PIs, we have, you know, advanced practice nurses who are PIs. We have advanced practice nurse, Christine Riley, who's on the leadership committee. Um, We have a surgeon. We have one surgeon, um, Peter Sasselos, um, who was in Ann Arbor and is now in Detroit. Um, and, and those their contributions are pretty meaningful for the projects. And I think, um, you know, there it is people, a big group of people who care about uh, cardiac intensive care and the patients and care about the research. And the other part, which, you know, Chris alluded to, but that's really important is the focus is not uh, a lot of funded senior people and we that's the agenda right the agenda is the best project and the most feasible project for the group and the actual mentorship of junior people um which you know again chris has done an amazing job of because i'm one of them (laughs) i'm one of his fellow uh, residents and i know i'm not junior anymore but 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 again (laughs) a lot of um you know chris and john mentored me and that's been you know pretty meaningful in my career and i think there are a lot of junior people in our group who have um you know presented and published and learned from this and they're going to mentor you know junior people at their center so again there's a lot of really amazing research that people are doing and 
it it looks great when you're a junior person watching someone present and thinking, how can I do that? How can I get there? Well, this is kind of similar to the early stages of Polizzi when it was a bunch of people that knew each other asking good clinical questions, trying to share knowledge and share um, resources to to answer some of those clinical questions. That's kind of how this started. And now uh, it's lasted. And now we're going to continue doing projects. And we welcome participation from, you know, not just the large, you know, 500 cases a year program. We actually want some smaller programs because we think that that information is meaningful. The question came up at the plenary today about um, potentially expanding to international sites. And uh, uh, that is something that I actually have started to look into. Uh, uh, several people, somebody from Brazil, uh, someone from uh, Canada, and someone from Europe, from actually the Netherlands, have reached out to me asking me about potentially uh, joining core PCICS. And uh, right now, the first person to do that was uh, uh, someone from Brazil. So we're trying to work. And I've been already in the early stages of seeing if I can work out some of the regulatory barriers to making that happen, uh, because that would add another, I think, very interesting uh, aspect to the collaborative. Uh, so, but that's, that, that might take a little bit of time. Uh, regulatory processes in our country are relatively slow. So when we try to navigate the inter international, uh, <laughs> regulatory processes, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's even more cumbersome. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that's fantastic to be a part of this group. You need to be hardworking and dedicated to the work, but you don't have to be from, the most well-known centers and you don't have to have a ton of support as long as you're willing to put in the work on the front end. And I think it's so important because, as you said, I there's a whole cohort of patients out there that aren't being included in any of these sorts of uh, studies and things. And so being able to capture that, I think, is really important. So I think it's great that... Um, the way you've structured things and what a great opportunity for junior faculty to learn from others within the group and and get that mentorship and and learn how to do research in a in a meaningful and correct way. Yeah, I'll add that uh some of the junior faculty at some of the smaller centers have said to me, like, if not for this, I wouldn't have had any other opportunity to do clinical research mm -hmm. or a small center. There's not a lot of people here available to mentor in this type of clinical arena. And uh, but from these experiences, they've, you know, they've gotten the bug and now they're they're more comfortable with the process. And so that's been really, really an unexpected, you know, benefit to the whole thing. Yeah, that's awesome. We'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Traphagen CPAs and Wealth Advisors is a comprehensive financial services firm comprised of accounting, tax, and wealth management, serving individuals and families throughout the country. For over 50 years, Traphagen CPAs and Wealth Advisors has served as a dynamic leader and provider of financial services. Unlike traditional financial advisory firms, our accounting team specializes in taxation, financial reporting, and consulting services, including financial and M&A. Our wealth management team manages client investment assets and provides comprehensive estate, tax, and financial planning services. As certified public accountants and registered investment advisors, we are uniquely positioned to be your trusted financial advisors. 
Traphagen's fiduciary team combines the value of their individual credentials to achieve a comprehensive view of your business and personal goals. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about um, that you guys would like to make sure we cover? I guess the only thing I'll uh, say is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not doing this to, to better my career. Uh, I've been very fortunate to um, uh, have a successful research career. Uh, I've been promoted as high as I need to be promoted, so to speak. And so I, uh, my motivation at this point is to get people in here so they, they can shepherd projects, so they can get publications and national uh, uh, presentations where they can network and really get their own careers going. So that is one of the mi mission uh, statements uh, of Core PCICS. So if, if there are people that are interested in doing this, um, I just want to just emphasize that at this point in my career, getting uh, people going and with their own careers is uh, the most uh, rewarding thing that I do at this point. So, uh, it's, it's, this is, it, 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 I will say when I first started, it was a little bit about me, but it's really not about me anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, it really isn't. I mean, I, yeah. I had questions that I wanted to answer and I wanted to get it done. And I kind of guilted my former trainees into doing it, I guess. <laughs> and, but, uh, you know, I said seven years later, it's not about me at all anymore. I, I said a lot of the things already that I think are important, but I um, I do think that there is a very, it's really nice to be in person, seeing people, collaborating, discussing your research ideas. And I think this kind of collaborative network is really important because it's a forum for young people. Uh, I say young, but, you know, every, every level, I think, really to discuss research ideas and get some feedback with people in our field and not feel... Um, you know, necessarily like you're at a national meeting and a lot of junior people are trying to get a job or trying to get promoted or trying to get their clinical work done. And I think sometimes it's hard to talk about your research ideas unless it's with a trusted mentor. I think a group like this is really nice because it is also a forum to bounce ideas off, see if they're meaningful, get feedback, hone them more, and hopefully make it into a project that will be, uh, good for patients, right? That's why all of us are doing this, not just for the, you know, national presence or what, you know, whatever people say, but it's really so that we can get information that either generates on more research questions or helps us in the clinical care of the patients. So I think this kind of group for, you know, people who may not have a strong, you don't have to have a strong research background. You just have to be willing to do the work. You have to be thoughtful. You have to be timely. You have to do all the, the things that we all have to do every day in our jobs. So um, I think this group is, uh, you know, way, a very good way for people who are clinically motivated and academically motivated to, to find an opportunity, especially, like I said, if you're from a smaller center or if you're unfunded, even at a larger center, um, this is a good way to become involved in clinical research. And we welcome, I think, applications. We're not, um, Chris said, necessarily recruiting people. It's it's mostly, you know, people are, and the, the membership can change and has actually changed over the course of the time. Some um, people have left, moved to other institutions. Um, some people have really realized that they they are not research-minded and they have too much clinical load and they they just 
don't have the desire anymore. And, you know, that's okay too. The The point of this is to be passionate about it and to answer some good questions that improve the care of the patient. So that's my important points. Yeah, those, are, those are great points. Yeah. I mean, I hopefully, as I said, we're not actively recruiting, not something that I, I even have the time to do at this point, but uh, if there are people out there, junior faculty who are listening and uh, really have some extra time on their hands and want to try something new, I encourage you to reach out to me because um, the junior faculty that have participated thus far, from what they've told me, it's been a very uh, rewarding experience for them. And um, and but there's again, we have 31 centers. There's a lot more out there that that, <laughs> that are doing great stuff. So um, so just feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you both so much. I think based on the work that's already come out of your group, you're definitely uh, fulfilling your mission. And I think that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you both again for speaking with me today about Core PCICS and one of the projects that came out of it, the Alcapa Project. We enjoyed having you on our podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.